This is Evan Marquette, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women, and your personal trainer for love. Welcome you back to the Love You Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about dating, relationships, sex, and men from a man's point of view. And today, we are talking about when your family doesn't approve of your partner. I will begin by way of anecdote, uh, and I should always be careful when I say this, but you know, I gotta say, I'm pretty sure my wife's family doesn't approve of me. Um, and I'm sorry if you're watching. I know sometimes you guys watch my stuff, but the truth is I'm not positive that my wife's family approves of me, um, which is unfortunate. And I can't do anything about it except to be the best husband and father that I can and give their daughter uh, a great life um, uh, and provide for her and the kids and make them happy. Um, it's one of the things that you learn by being sort of public on the internet. You can't, you can do the best that you can, but you can't please all the people all the time. And especially when it comes to deep-seated beliefs, right? So if I've ever said something that rubbed you the wrong way, it's uh, because, you know, my, my observations don't square with your deep-seated beliefs and you feel attacked by me for my, my beliefs. Uh, the same thing happens uh, in familiar relationships. My wife and I are different. Uh, we come from very different backgrounds. Uh, I'm East Coast secular uh, Jewish culture. Uh, discovered I was an atheist when I went to college. Ivy League-ish ambitions. Um, just that's that's what I come from. My wife comes from mi middle class Catholic, conservative San Diego, Navy Irish Catholic. Uh, drinking culture um, uh, where order is respected uh, and uh, contentness is the greatest value, not striving. It's just being happy with what you've got. So we're very, very different people who miraculously connect very, very well. Six months into our relationship, when I first told her I loved her, uh, I then had to confront, well, what happens now? Like, I love you. Um, I could see this going further. What are we going to do about the religion of our children? And um, I tried to explain to her, and she was able to accept this explanation that although I don't believe in anything, my ethnic heritage as a Jewish guy is important to me. Uh, it's something I want to keep. It's something I want to pass along to my children. It's, I'm not going to let my religion die, even though it's you know, the world's smallest major religion. I'm not going to let it disappear due to apathy, regardless of whether it's tied up in religion. And I know there's some people who feel that this is wrong and this is hypocritical and how could you be Jewish without believing in anything? This isn't really a debate about that. Right? This is just a story about how my wife and I decided six months in that I would give up atheism for the sake of the kids, right? Because my wife didn't care as much about Catholicism as she did uh, the concept of having a, believing in a higher power. So we're raising two little kids who go to Jewish school and are being brought up Jewish and they believe in God, which is uncomfortable for me, but it's a small sacrifice. We were fine with this and we remain fine with this and the kids are fine with this. Everybody's fine with this. But my wife, because she's non-confrontational, never told her family, specifically her mother, um, who is a devout Catholic and her identical twin sister, right? my, my, my mother-in-law's sister, um, they are identical twins, also devout Catholic. My wife went to 16 years of Catholic school. And so 
after my daughter was born, uh, the obvious question is when, when's the baptism? And um, my wife, non-confrontational though she was, stood up to her family and said, there's not going to be a baptism. We're raising the kids Jewish, which is a very hard conversation for her to have. She avoided it as long as she could, probably too long. And it very much disappointed my mother-in-law and uh, her sister to the point where they wrote her handwritten, angry, disappointed letters about how disappointed they were in her, how they're worried about their, their grandchildren's souls, uh, and how I must have brainwashed her somehow to convince her to do this. I sometimes talk about big concept things. Um, sometimes I just wanna go personal because it matters. All of this matters. It's all, it all comes to a point. It's not just an exercise in talking about myself. How do we extrapolate this to something bigger? Well, as it turns out, I am the kind of person who likes to resolve things. I don't like to have this as the elephant in the room, right? The, the Jewish atheist brainwashes your daughter and convinces her against her will to have little Jewish kids. I don't like that narrative, especially since it's not true, right? My wife is very happy. Everything she did was by her own choice and her own volition. Uh, and we're a very happy family. Um, the only people who are not happy with this decision are my Catholic in-laws who are consistently and rightfully concerned about the, the, the souls of their grandkids. Uh, and I feel bad. I mean, I feel bad to disappoint anybody. Um, and after all this, I'm one of the lucky ones right? because I forged a strong relationship with my wife and although, although my wife is fundamentally a pleaser, she is a yes person. She wants everybody to be happiest. She's an oldest child who acts like a middle child. Just wants everybody around her to be happy and be nice to each other. Right? So I was never allowed to talk to my in-laws about this and help them understand how we arrived at this conclusion and who I am and what this means. Right? I, it was, I was removed from this equation. This is just a conversation my wife had with her mom. Right? That we ended up, they ended up talking and then sort of I think either agreeing or just sweeping it under the rug um, to the best of their abilities. And I just don't, I, I don't talk about it. I'm talking about it now, but it, it, we, we pretty much have to pretend that this isn't actually happening and that there's not an elephant in the room at all. Because we pretend there's kind of not, right? My wife and I live in our, in our happy little bubble. And uh, if my in-laws have any resentment, they do a really great job of, of not showing it. But I'm not positive they approve. Um, but they get out of the way. And I thank them for that. This is an unusual story, not just the unusual compromise my wife and I made for our children's religion, but the idea that when you come from a strong ethnic culture, Persian, Indian, Chinese, Jewish, Greek, right, there is a lot of pressure internally from your family in particular to stay within your tribe, right? Um, one of the things my wife likes about Jewish culture is that there's really a strong culture, right? Um, she's proud of being Irish, but she doesn't like go around and meet other Irish people and be like, I totally get you because you're Irish. Jewish people do that. Black people do that. Like, I get you. You're one of me. Right? So there's pressure to stay in the tribe if you're part of an ethnic culture, especially if you're first generation. Right? And this is an immigrant, immigrant story. Right? This is This is... Anybody who's come to America as a first generation wants to make it as an American, blend in with the culture, 
right, wants to assimilate, but doesn't want to lose their identity from where they came from. And the parents are afraid of losing what made them Greek, Persian, Indian, whatever. Right? So there's this interesting conflict of interests where we want to be fully American and integrated and assimilated and still carve out this unique culture and hold on to it because it's important to remember where you came from. Um, I'm very fortunate that I'm third generation. My Russian grandparents came over in 1929. Uh, my mom's parents came my mom's grandparents came over earlier than that, so I'm third, fourth generation Russian. And um, I never felt pressured by my family to <clears throat> marry Jewish. Uh, even though it's very, very common in my community because it's such a small community. I mean, 1.7% of Americans are Jewish, right? 1.7%. Right? Everybody thinks America is just filled with Jewish people, 1.7%. Um, go to Wikipedia, we'll see. Jews recognize, and again, I'm just using it as a starting point, you can talk about any ethnicity, that there is, if you're part of a small ethnic culture, there's lots of temptation and opportunity to marry outside your religion. And you have a choice, stay within my 1.7%, whether you're Jewish or Muslim or Indian or from a certain province of China, or expand to the 98% of people who are not that way. And that's why Jews right, marry outside their religion at a 58% rate. Because the fact is, even if you want to stay in, it's hard. There's just not as many people around. Right? And I'm, again, I'm, I'm using myself as the poster boy for this. I wrote, a, I remember I dated a Filipina girl here in LA and she was wonderful. Um, and we had a tempestuous relationship, but I really, really loved her. And, um, her family was very different than mine, uh, Filipino immigrants, but but um, they, they were a loving family, lots of karaoke, fun. Um, but after we broke up, I was like, I'm never doing that again. And I was, and you can go Google, I wrote an, a story for the Jewish Journal here in Los Angeles about how, it was 2003, four, and how I was only gonna marry someone Jewish. Right? The overcorrection, well, the last one didn't work, so this time I'm gonna stay inside the tribe. Right? It's just easier when someone understands you. It's not true. Right? We think it's true. We think it's the shortcut. Oh, if I marry someone who's just like me, they're gonna get me. Um, and that's a, that's a categorical error. Yes, there's, you know, uh, it's, it's one less thing to worry about, but there's no guarantee of a successful relationship. Um, you know, I, I already outed myself as a public hypocrite who said he would never marry outside his religion, and I married outside my own religion. Right? Again, I, could, I, could, I can show you the article, <laughs> but Lots of women marry Jewish guys who are like me, right? Uh, or date Jewish guys who are like me who claim to be secular, say they don't care, right? And then when it comes down to it, when it comes time to propose, suddenly they care. Or they care because their parents care. Because their parents uh, come, you know, are Holocaust survivors or their grandparents are Holocaust survivors and how dare you X, Y, Z. So everything is benign, everything is cool, right? And then when push comes to shove, uh, the Jewish guy says, you know what, you're going to have to convert. Something he never mentioned for the first two years they were relating, uh, dating. And, and that is something that turns, rightfully turns people off about Jewish guys, <laughs> right? Is that it, you know, their religion really doesn't matter until it does. This first half of the podcast, right, I'm telling my story of not feeling accepted and the complexities of familial pressure 
my mom was always like, and again, forgive me for being gauche for saying, saying it like this, but mom was like, you could bring home a black man, I'd be fine with it. Right? Like that's what, I, that's what I was given, is we want you to be happy. Who you're happy with is immaterial, right? But are you happy? And I think that's the best way of, of parenting. It's putting your, ch your child's happiness first, he says as a parent of a four-year-old and a five-year-old who doesn't know anything about parenting, right? But are you happy? Ultimately, does your partner treat you well? And it doesn't really matter what color, race, etc. I can't help but to acknowledge that that attitude is atypical. And the reason I'm doing this podcast, and what we're going to get in the second half of this podcast, is talk about what happens when you don't come from that background. When your parents use every trick in the book to try to force you into marrying someone who looks like you, sounds like you, comes from your background, fits into your culture effortlessly, and they use guilt and money and power and all these levers to try to manipulate your relationship so that you end up with someone that they approve, sort of regardless of whether you approve. And to me, that is very unhealthy. And there is a specific way of dealing with that that is, uh, well, let's just say, I have had many clients who've been forced to deal with that and I've had to give them a good talking to. So in the second half of this podcast, I'm going to tell you a few stories about some pushy ethnic families and explain to you why if you want to be happy, you have to learn how to stand up to your parents. This is the Love You Podcast. My name is Evan Mark Katz and we will be right back. Hey, this is Evan Marquette, Dating Coach for Smart, Strong, Successful Women, and your personal trainer for love, welcoming, welcoming you back to the Love You Podcast, the second half of this Love You Podcast, where we're going to be talking about families who disapprove of your choice in partners. Um, and again, I'm looking for common threads, like what could we learn from this, the fact that it happens so very frequently. Um, Amy Chua wrote the book about being a tiger mom. Uh, her follow-up book, and again, I read things, I read articles about books, I don't always read the books, uh, was about cultures of exceptionalism, right? And so she observed, she's a Yale professor, why do Chinese people succeed so disproportionately here in America? Why do Indian people, why do Jewish people, what, what do they have in common, right? That makes them disproportionately successful here in America. Um, and some of the things are, they're cultures of ethnic exceptionalism which is to say they all think that they're the best, right? That's been inculcated into their culture is you're the best, you can do anything, push, strive, study, right? You are the best, right? To the point where sometimes you end up looking down on other cultures, but these are all taught within culture that you're the best. Um, and then there's the good qualities that come with the bad qualities, right? Intelligent, which often means opinionated, caring, which often means overprotective. Close, which often means insular. They don't get, get outside their own bubble. Um, and again, the, the uh, condescending, patronizing quality that comes with thinking that you are an exceptional culture, that you're the chosen people, for example. Um, it, it could inspire you to do great things, but also uh, it could have some deleterious effects too. So um, if these are cultures that are proud of themselves, want to stay within culture, think it's easier, 
don't necessarily approve of outsiders, have assimilated but not totally assimilated. And again, I think it's actually worse. I talked about 58% of Jews intermarrying. Um, I think it's, it's worse for Asian cultures and Indian cultures in particular. There's a lot of first-generation parental pressure to stay within the marriage, Indian in particular. The, I mean, they, it's, it's the, a culture of, I forgot the terminology, for you know, when it's arranged marriage. Uh, I've mentioned the book uh, First Comes Marriage by Reva Seth about the virtues of uh, arranged marriage compared to Western marriage. But there is something that, that does not change. A uh, wonderful movie called Meet the Patels, um, where I actually know the, the filmmaker from Duke, but, but uh, the pressure that this young, this 30-something-year-old guy felt from his family to marry not just another Indian woman, but another Patel, um, uh, a, a movie worth watching. So by way of anecdote, um, there is a friend of mine, we're going to call him Ted. He fell in love with an Indian woman and her and they were together for two, three years, um, across many countries. I mean, it was a long distance relationship, but it was intense and it was passionate and it was real. And this guy is a great guy. He's the kind of guy who could get any woman and he chose this woman who's also extraordinary. I've, I've only met her once, but they're a great couple and her family wanted nothing to do with this guy. And this guy is like a, like a, su a superstar. Like, I've got a man crush on this friend of mine. That's how great he is. Well, you know, I don't want to out him or brag about him, but he's a, an amazing guy. And her family just could not get on board. And they tried everything in their power to break them up. Um, and he jumped through hoops upon hoops upon hoops, which I think culminated in a 700-person Indian wedding in India. Um, just to prove that he was willing to go through whatever fire gauntlet to get to the other side to marry their daughter. Um, but I remember being shocked by that. Um, and this is not to diminish my love for my wife as much as my sort of intolerance for jumping through hoops. I could not imagine having to, to work that hard to prove myself to my wife's family for uh, for, for any reason, uh, what I would expect is her to stand up to her family uh, and say, this is the man I love, this is the man I'm marrying, you're not gonna mess this up for me. That's my prescription. Uh, but this guy went the extra mile to try to convince her family to get on board the wedding train, which was probably gonna leave the station, but uh, not with their blessing. Then there's another story of a friend of mine um, who is a wonderful guy, he's a doctor, uh, found himself a, a lovely, uh, Chinese-American girlfriend, parents sacrificed everything to bring her to America. They still live in China. And when it came time to propose, the family asked him for a dowry. Um, but not just a dowry, like, a, like an extortion kind of dowry, like a $75,000 down and $5,000 a month for the rest of their lives dowry to marry their daughter. Um, and I remember him talking to me, he's like, you know, what do you think I should do? What do you, like, you know, I mean, this feels wrong to me, but I love her and I don't want to lose her. And I gave him the same advice that I'm giving you here. She has to be able to stand up to her parents. Right? This is not acceptable. Right? This is between you two. Right? You want, yes, we want them to be happy. Yes, we want them to approve. But it, it's not your job to convince them. It's her job to convince them. Right? Um, that takes strength to stand up to your family uh, who sacrificed everything for you. And that, to me, that's sort of the underlying thing behind it. I'm not 
you know, anti-immigrant culture or uh, don't understand the value of, of insularity or preserving what's special about the old country. Um, I'm, in fact, a very sentimental person. It's why I'm not religious and I still choose Jewish culture. It's more on a practical level. It's so hard to find lasting love right, with a special person that you can get along with. Right, why restrict yourself to 1% of the population that happens to have the same, you know, ethnic background as you do? Right, why make it so much more difficult when you find someone that where those puzzle pieces fit and the, the shoe, shoe fits perfectly? Why mess with that? And why would anybody from the outside not approve if two people are happy? Uh, it's because people have their ideas and they have their own agenda. And they're not evil, but they are selfish and they are short-sighted. I, as a dating coach for 13 years, I get a disproportionate amount, right? I don't, you know, I don't release numbers, nor do I even keep great numbers on my private clients, but I have a disproportionate amount of Asian and Indian women clients, right? If we could assume that, uh, you know, uh, that makes 15% of the American population, they're probably 30% of my clientele, right? For a very specific reason. They haven't dated much culturally, their parents, or very insistent on studying and achievement and um, obedience. Right? So there was a lot less dating in their teens and 20s, and they're they often late bloomers in that regard. And they're A, behind the eight ball because they've taken a long time. Uh, B, their standards are very high because they're very successful and cerebral. Right? And C, there's a lot of familiar pressure to stay in community, which is impractical, right? not bad, not wrong, but impractical when the goal is just to find someone to make you happy and build a family. And you're, you start by ruling out 99% of the population before you talk about height, weight, age, income, education, personality, consistency, kindness, communication, etc. Right, we're starting with a smaller pool. So I understand parents who've sacrificed everything to give their kids a better life. Um, can't judge that. You can only admire that. But that doesn't mean that they own you. And it doesn't mean that you owe them. And people really need to hear that. Yes, you gave me life. Yes, you gave me a better life. Yes, I couldn't have done it without you. Yes, you paid for my college. Yes, you inspired me. And you inspired me to be able to make my own healthy choices. Not to be dependent upon you. Right? You raised me to be an adult. I'm making an adult choice. This is what I want to do with my life. I'm sorry if you don't approve of it. Um, if you're the parent who puts your happiness, right, or your purity, I mean, it's like politics, right? If you put in a political purity over practicality and compromise, you end up nowhere. You just end up fighting and intransigent. Ultimately, all relationships, parental, uh, romantic, business, political, are about reasonable compromise and listening and validating and realizing that not everybody can get their way in every situation. So if you are that young woman, or even not so young woman, who still feels the pressure of your very controlling paternalistic parents, you are the architect of your own life. Right? There's, there's nobody else. Your parents might have set it into motion, they might have given, boosted you along the way, but ultimately you are the boss, you are the architect of your own life. You're the one who has to live daily with your choices. Right? You're the one who has to go to sleep at night in your head, lying next to someone that you better really love. Right? 
and the feeling of love and feeling safe, heard, and understood is so much more important than the color of his skin or what he thinks about how we got here or where we go when we die. So much more important. Lots of people stay within their religion or culture and get divorced. That in and of itself is not going to save anything. Kindness, consistency, communication, compromise, all that kind of stuff, the boring stuff that I talk about and love you, that's, that's the special sauce. Right. So this is a thing that we could all compromise on. My wife and I are a good example. If you're extreme, I mean, if, you're, if your ethnicity is your world, if your church is your world, that's fine. Just be, be conscious of the fact that you're cutting off a lot of decent people. Right? You're not, it's not that it's wrong to say. It just makes your search that much harder than everybody else who's like, I could date anybody of any race, any ethnicity, any religion, any belief because I'm non-judgmental. People could believe what they want. My wife and I don't agree on the same stuff. doesn't matter. So you have to make a decision that works for you 24-7, 365. Not something that gets your parents off your back. If your parents are going to remain on your back, you're making a choice. You're building a new life. Sometimes people think that when it comes to dating and relationships, it's like this, uh, it's the end of the road. Oh my God, I just dated. I dated 100 people over the course of 15 years. It was exhausting. Oh, now I'm done. Well, yeah, you found one person. Now you're 35 years old. You get married. Guess what? This is day one of the rest of your life. This is your new life. The old life is almost irrelevant. The second I chose my wife was the second that everything changed. Right? There's before wife, there's after wife. Those are two different eras. So when you're making this choice to hold on to what your parents gave you or told you was true, regardless of whether it works for you, regardless of whether it's factually true, just because you're trying to please and not rock the boat, realize you're making a decision on the first day of your, the rest of your life for 40 years. Right? You don't want to regret that decision. You don't want to second guess that decision. You got to feel good about that decision. And it has to feel good to you. Whether it feels good to your parents is ultimately incidental. Right. Really, it's incidental. If your parents are going to be the kind of people who choose to break up with you or pressure you, and they're going to say, hey, we're not even going to come to your wedding, right, if you marry X. Presuming that X isn't a, an abuser or a bad person. This is just literally just a religious or ethnic dispute. Right? This is where you have to stand up to your parents. If they would rather be right than supportive, right, you have to draw the line in the sand right, and choose the person that you're going to spend every day with for the next 40 years, not the people who brought you into this world and paid for your college. Right? No matter how much love, how much loyalty you have. Um, Sorry, parents, right? This is on behalf of your kids. Um, and ultimately, we've got a finite number of years on this planet, and we've got to do what works for us and makes us happy. And if your kid makes a bad decision, kid will live with the bad decision. But it has to be an independent decision. It cannot be one that is influenced. It's like, a, it's like the mafia telling you <laughs> what you're allowed to do with your business. That's not the way to run a business. You don't get in business with the mafia. <laughs> You get to make your own choices because you're an adult. If you were raised well and your parents raised you well, they should let you do your thing. And you have to be strong enough to tell them, no, this is the person I love. This is the person I'm going to be with. I would love your approval, but I'm not going to change my mind on it. That was uh, surprisingly emotional. There was something a little personal in there. Um, but it's important to speak truth to this, this power and reclaim your own power as an individual. Um, 
Nobody's, nobody should tell you what to do. I'm not telling you what to do. I just want you to be happy. My name is Evan Mark Katz. This is Love You Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please click on the subscribe button that you see on this page. Share this with your friends who need it. Um, next week, I'm going to be talking about ghosting, the concept of why men disappear. Um, you definitely want to tune into that. If you subscribe, you'll definitely be able to see it. But this podcast comes out on Wednesdays. You can see it on my blog. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook. Uh, you can sign up for my mailing list where I give you tons of free dating, dating and relationship advice until you drop at www.evanmarkcats.com. All the links are below the YouTube video if you're watching this on YouTube. And most of all, I just want to thank you. Uh, thank you for listening to me rant and rave. I hope it's educational and entertaining. And I very much look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you.